0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the What's Up Finance Podcast, a podcast where we discuss what's up with the market, the economy, and any other worthwhile topics and discussions happening in the world of finance. My name is Matthew Campbell, and joining me is my partner, Camden Elkanadi. Our special guest is Wyatt Kohler. Today, we will be doing things a little differently, and we will focus specifically on the booming space industry to see how far it has grown over the last decade and what the expectations are for the next decade as companies and governments begin to usher in a new age of human space exploration. Our guest, Wyatt Kohler, is a student at Cal Poly Slow studying electrical engineering. I met him at Moorpark College as he worked to help build the first student-led garden on campus and later served with him on the student government during his tenure as vice president. His technical knowledge of emerging space-related technologies is only matched by his ability to spot game-changing startups entering the industry. We are very excited to have him on the show today. So, Wyatt, how are you liking uh, Cal Poly?
1: Cal Poly is great. Um, I've really been enjoying uh, moving away from the L.A. area and being a little bit more isolated, kind of in a small town. Um, and the program itself, the engineering program, is really good here. So I'm pretty
0: happy. Yeah. How are you liking the uh, engineering program?
1: Well, uh, it can be tricky sometimes, but um, it's, it's a really great program because we do so much. The, the whole motto of Cal Poly is to learn by doing. Um, and so I just have so many labs, which a lot of people would you know, not enjoy. But I think that the experience that I'm getting from working in a lab environment and really getting hands-on work, which is what I want to do, um is is exciting and like worthwhile
0: yeah I, especially in like your major i think you have to do it hands-on
1: yeah yeah for sure um i've heard of like people at other schools um only doing maybe one or two labs or three labs a year and in my first year i did about nine labs so oh, wow okay. yeah i've done a lot of labs here.
0: <laughs> well man that's great well let's let's dive right in Over the last decade, we've seen an unprecedented amount of investment in the aerospace industry. As a result, new companies have entered the market and new technologies have emerged at a rate that hasn't been seen since the 1960s. So why? Like over the last decade or so, what are some of the most significant events and advancements that you've seen unfold?
1: Um, Well, I would think that one of the most significant ones is definitely reusability. Um, This whole past decade could be characterized as like the decade of commercial um, space. Uh because starting in 2010, there wasn't even there wasn't a Falcon 9 that had launched successfully. Um there was no
0: uh crazy cargo rack. Right it's crazy to think about how far SpaceX has come.
1: Yeah, it's insane. I mean they went from having only launched the Falcon one, uh which they don't even use anymore, to developing uh not only a rocket, but two different kinds of space capsules, um, reinventing that rocket, you know, an untold number of times, uh, and then developing near full reusability all within 10 years. So it's insane.
0: Yeah. And I mean, what's great about SpaceX, too, is how far away they are from everybody else. Like Blue Origin is on track with the reusability of their rockets, but as far as reusability, like SpaceX has, they're still the only provider to reach orbit with uh, reusable stages. So,
1: yeah, and I looked into the um, the cost because I always knew uh, that the cost to develop Falcon and Dragon was significantly cheaper than um, like the projected costs for other programs. Um, but the combined costs, uh, well, NASA's con- contribution to Falcon and um, the first Cargo Dragon. Uh, was $400 million, and SpaceX committed about $450 million on their end. So it was about $850 million to develop um, a new rocket, totally new rocket, and a totally new uh, space capsule. Um, And just looking at some of the development costs from like other programs, uh, the cost to develop um, the space shuttle was about, it's estimated that it's $54 billion in development costs, and currently, we don't even have the, the space launch system finished yet, um, the rocket that they're hoping to take us to the moon. But that has so far had $10 billion in development. And the Orion capsule that'll fly on the SLS, that's been in development, and it's, it's at $6 billion. So, and those were 2017 projections. So I don't know, it's probably
0: significantly more now, but it's still not finished. So,
1: so, so basically, yeah. private industry did it uh, way, way, way cheaper.
0: Yeah, and not only in development cost, and operating costs, like as well. Like NASA is looking to pay somewhere in the range of, depending on how many they buy, somewhere around one point one to one point three billion dollars per SLS, which we'll talk about more later. Yeah, uh, versus the cost of how much like Falcon nines go for. Do you know about how much they go for?
1: Yeah, so uh, Falcon nine right now is advertised at around sixty million dollars. Um, and that is for an entirely new vehicle. Um, a lot of missions now are being done with the reuse vehicles um, and the reuse vehicles are uh, a good chunk cheaper. They're about $50 million. Um, and, and SpaceX could honestly uh, probably sell those launches for even cheaper, but there's no incentive to do so because there's just no competition. So um, offering the discount is, is uh, a kind gesture, but they, they didn't even really need to do that because there's nobody else even close to their price bracket right now, so they can continue to um, relaunch the same boosters and be charging fifty million dollars per launch, and they are making a lot of money off of that
0: yeah you're right that they, they are they are definitely a highlight of the last decade in space um, really are there any other points you'd want to touch on as well
1: yeah, I actually so I did a little bit of research into um uh, into the past decade and just looking at the venture capital and, uh, invested in the past decade. Um, and it actually is pretty hard to find information before like 2011, um, just because the numbers were not very big, but, um, so far in just the first three quarters of 2019, it's estimated that $5 billion has been invested in uh, private capital. And in 2018, it was $3.23 billion in 2017, it was $2.55 billion. Um, and it's interesting to note that in 2017, um, that $2.55 billion number, $750 million of that was invested by Bezos alone. Um, so he accounted for a huge portion of investment. And I'm referring to Jeff Bezos, uh, who's the CEO of Amazon. And he's also, um, I actually don't know his official title because he's not the CEO of Blue Origin. Um, but I guess he's the president of Blue Origin. Um, And so he invests his own personal fortune uh, into Blue Origin just about every year because they don't really—I mean—they have products, but they're not really in in flight or in use yet. Um, So anyway, I was looking at these investment statistics over the past ten years, um, and in 2015 it was 1.8 billion dollars, and between 2009 and 2019, it's estimated, um, according to this VC firm Space Angels, it was estimated that 24.6 billion dollars was invested in space and. For reference, um, I had to do some digging, um, and I found in 2016, NASA produced three papers called The Economic Development of Low-Earth Orbit, and one was called Venture Capital Activity in the Low-Earth Sector, Low-Earth Orbit Sector, Um, and they tracked that from 1983 to 1999, only three companies received VC funding, Um, and then from 2000 to 2007, five firms received VC funding. Uh, And so looking at the actual transactions, there were only four transactions from 1983 to 1999, and there were nine transactions um, from 2000 to 2007. And just from 2008 to to 2015, there were 24. So you can add all of those years, 1983 to 1999 and 2000 to 2007, you could add all those transactions and double them and there were significantly more um, transactions just in the span of seven years than in like 30 years prior. And now there's so many VC firms getting involved in space. I, I don't even know if you could keep track of, um, of really how much is moving in and out of these companies.
2: I'm just going to interject here. I'm finance based. And last uh, podcast episode, I had a special guest on, Brent Gordon, and we spoke about finance and about valuation, about the current market as we see it. And this episode is specialized in the space industry, where Matthew and Wyatt, you both have huge interest and curiosity in this. So as an investor, I'm here to listen in to your conversation to see if the space industry is something I, as an investor, will invest in in the future. And I do know of one IPO, uh, Virgin Galactic Holdings, ticker SPCE, that recently became public. And they're uh, one of the first public space companies to become known. And I know that Raytheon and Boeing and other defense companies do work in the space industry by uh, creating the technology involved in uh, spacecrafts and other defense and satellites. But my question to you guys is, as an investor, do you think uh, Blue Origin and SpaceX and other VC companies will enter the public markets for public investors to invest in.
0: Well, I can speak to SpaceX, and I can say that Elon Musk, who's the CEO of SpaceX, has been very clear about not taking SpaceX public until they reach Mars at least, because he saw after taking Tesla public that much of what the company did became reliant on the opinion of the shareholders, and he doesn't want to lose that control especially when he has the company driving for a mission that might not be profitable for a very long time, and it's outside of the scope of making profits. He believes in going to Mars for way more reasons to extend the reach of mankind, and he doesn't want that to be deterred by the will and whims of investors and shareholders. So that one's off the table. For Blue Origin, though, I'm not sure. Wyatt, what do you think?
1: Um, I would think... F- you know, I, I, Blue Origin is the one that I'm really not sure about either because um, in all of my time following space, Blue Origin is always the most secretive of the yeah. big space companies. Uh, they don't really disclose things until they're about to do them. Uh, like with Blue Moon um, this past summer, um, they didn't talk about Blue Moon really at all. There was like rumors that it existed um, until they had basically a completed lander, uh, a lunar lander that they're developing with. Uh, hopefully with with NASA. Um, But so I I don't really know. And I don't know, maybe Bezos wants to grow his fortune and (laughs) he would put it on the market. Um, But I honestly don't think that currently um, uh, any major public investment uh, in SpaceX, or not in SpaceX, but in space in general is really a good idea. Um, Maybe for companies that are uh, operating in a more um, safe environment. But Kind of like what Matthew said, SpaceX wants to take people to Mars and Blue Origin wants to take people into space and to the moon and to Mars eventually i 'm sure um, and those are very harsh conditions. Uh, space is really hard um, so there's any number of things that could go wrong I, i'm actually surprised uh, excuse me I 'm actually surprised that um, that Branson took uh, Virgin Galactic uh, public uh, because they 've suffered their own uh, issues over the past years. They lost uh, one of their spaceships um, in over the Mojave Desert back in 2014. Uh, yeah, they lost a the pilot, exactly. And so they've kind of had a tumultuous uh, history. And I'm surprised that you would want to take in public right now, especially before they've successfully um, taken customers well, into space.
2: Galactic right now is up 55% since their inception date. So they're probably happy with it, and that allows them to gain more funding because with the uh, disaster of their latest rocket, uh, it's very expensive to build rockets and to, uh, to operate them and to have them go into space. So now they have the support of public shareholders that will fund them more. But my main question is, I have their 10Q open, and it's probably one of their most recent ones because I don't think they have another one besides this one. Um, and it's very, very simple. I think this is the shortest 10Q I've ever seen. It's only about like 10 pages long, but they do have the basic financial statements on it. My question is, how do they make revenue? Um, I, I, they don't describe it here, but they have been making revenue. So how are they making revenue? They have net income of $5 million as of 2019, and they had $7 million
1: in 2018. Well, that's my question too. How does How does Virgin Galactic make money? They've been developing their spaceship for like uh, 20 years or something. You know, like a really, really long time. Um, because originally, a, a Google um, X Prize, the original Google X Prize, was for um, just to put, I think, a man above the Kármán line, which is like 100 kilometers in the air. And uh, a small group did it. They formed a company called Composite. Uh, I can't remember exactly. Composite something. And they were bought by Richard Branson and then rolled into Virgin Galactic. And so they've been working at this for a long time. And I'm surprised that, um, like, once again, I'm surprised that they went to IPO before <laughs> demonstrating that they have a reliable source
0: yeah, of income. they are an interesting case. That that small amount of money they've been able to bring in, though, is thanks to, they did fly in their recent tests, a couple of experiments for NASA. So no doubt, they are able to get yeah. a couple of contracts with NASA. Um, the other thing is they've received a lot of funding in the past from Branson himself, who's obviously a billionaire. And uh, it's been one of his pet projects, like is the case with most of these space companies. So when, they've, when this company has needed money in the past, he's been happy to fund it.
2: And it, and it, and it, it took, actually discloses it. Sorry to interrupt you, Matthew, but this is very yeah. interesting. On their balance sheet under assets, it says marketable securities held in trust account, $677 million, meaning that I believe this is Richard Branson's own trust account that's funding this company or some trust account that he definitely funds because this trust account is worth more than their total shareholders' equity, which is around $5 million.
0: Interesting. It is interesting. I'd be curious to see how much of that, if at all, is from the deposits they took, because they did take, I don't remember exactly how many, but they took deposits of around $200,000 from people interested to fly. Um, They paused that in 2014 after the crash, Wyatt mentioned. But last I read, they're getting ready to begin taking deposits again. And they're actually gearing up this year. They have a goal of flying Branson himself into space. So... Um, After that, I'm sure they'll begin taking more deposits again.
1: Yeah. And um, they also have kind of a... I mean, I don't really know if they consider it a spinoff. I I mean, I guess it is. It's um, it's called Virgin Orbit. Uh, It's a company, I guess, within Virgin Galactic um, that is planning on trying to deliver actual payloads instead of people for tourism. Uh, They want to utilize um, uh, like jumbo jets and strap their single-stage rockets to the bottom or double-stage rockets to the bottom um, and launch from, from jets at altitude in order to save on you know, um, fuel and uh, they can pass on the weight savings. Um, because it's incredibly expensive. Rockets are multiple stages because it's uh, very expensive in fuel in order just to get um, high enough in the atmosphere. So uh, they have this, this company that is planning on launching... Um, small satellites into low earth orbit and they're, they're making significant pro- progress on it. Um, I think they are planning on launching that this year as well. And they had planned to launch it in 2019. So I'm sure we're probably going to hear more news about that. And, um, you know, a few I'm months. I'm really glad
0: you brought that up actually, because I wanted to see what you think of that because like with all these other launch providers coming online, like Firefly rocket lab, who can also do small sets and they're getting cheaper every year. Do you really see a need for that type of launch that uh, Virgin Orbit is looking at doing?
1: So this is a, a great question and it stems from a larger uh, problem like what you're describing is there's so many launchers and there the, frankly, there just isn't enough room for everybody who wants to launch rockets. Um, there isn't really... I mean, the business is picking up for sure um, and other aspects of space, um, but... Uh, For instance, Blue Origin's new Glenn rocket, the one that they're planning to launch in the next couple of years, that rocket has a very large fairing um, and they're touting that it'll be able to launch multiple satellites at once. once. Um, And SpaceX's new rocket is also, the Starship is also going to have a very large payload capacity and should be very cheap once they get those costs down. Um, Granted, those are larger rockets, but they could carry smaller payloads. And we do have uh, companies like Rocket Lab um, the New Zealand and U.S. I guess New Zealand-based uh, company um, that launches payloads. I think they're up to 220 pounds. They're very tiny. Um, so there's there's Rocket Lab, there's Vector, there's uh, Firefly, and now there's Virgin Orbit. But the two that seem closest to really getting things into space are Virgin Orbit and um, and uh, Rocket Lab. So I think there's room probably for for two launchers in the small sat. And I think there's probably room for a couple launchers um, on the larger scale, because currently the launchers that the United States has is uh, ULA, United Launch Alliance, which is a partnership between Boeing and Lockheed Martin. Then they have the Atlas V and the Delta IV. Um, and the other launch provider is, is SpaceX. Um, there is a third rocket, um, the Cygnus and Antares spacecraft, um, but that one doesn't fly very often and it's being phased out. So there's really only room for two providers. And, and that actually had to be federally mandated because before there was only one launch provider um, doing all the launches. And it was that joint venture between Lockheed and Boeing. Um, and they basically monopolized the launch market. And so there needed to be a, a federal intervention basically, or well, SpaceX prove themselves? Um, and so they started allowing SpaceX to bid on contracts. So there's really only room for two. And it's interesting because um, blue origin, like I said, is developing their new Glenn rocket, which looks to be competitive with what, um, SpaceX has. And then ULA is developing a new rocket called Vulcan. Um, and, uh, we've got another company developing a rocket called Omega. Um, so there's four rocket companies coming online and I just don't see all of them surviving.
0: Yeah, even with the uh, space like economy picking up and the need to launch more satellites picking up, I think you're probably right about that. We're going to see. Well,
1: so that's actually. So I think that small sats are probably going to be doing a lot more business for sure because the direction that um, things seem to be taking is making the satellites smaller. Um, it you don't need these massive satellites that we thought we needed before, um, and in terms of like uh, in terms of national defense. Uh, the air force has gone on record saying that they're trying to pivot towards smaller satellites because they're harder targets. So, um, I, there's definitely room, I think in the small stat market for a few different entrants, but uh, right now rocket lab is really the only small sat launcher. And you hear about all these other small sat launchers in the news and they're getting private investment or whatever. But like I said, going to space is really hard. It took SpaceX four attempts before they ever got to orbit. Um, and Blue Origin still hasn't done it. They've gone suborbital, but they still haven't even gone to orbit with the billions of dollars that they've been given.
0: So basically for investors, you're saying be cautious over the next couple of years as all of these like space startups come online because they're not all going to make it. There's just not a market for them.
2: But why is that? So they yeah, both I... have the same money, billions of dollars. They both have the same resources. They both have the same manpower. They both have the same brainpower. But why has SpaceX been successful and Blue Origin
0: not? I I think there, I'd love to hear your input too, Wyatt, but I think that specifically between SpaceX and Blue Origin, that's just like the case of the two different ways that the CEOs or the founders of these companies think. SpaceX, you have Elon Musk, who is known for going in like headfirst, like um, fail fast, fail quick, you know, so like kind of just break your way through as you get everything done and kind of just push forward through anything. That's been their approach versus Blue Origin has been really quiet, really cautious, really taking their time. Like SpaceX wanted to get to orbit right away. And Blue Origin just took in a lot of money and just went took the slow route. And that's why we still haven't seen them make it to orbit. Despite success in a lot of the stuff they've done and success in their launches, they've had I don't know but it's over half a dozen successful launches of their the rocket they're currently flying so and they've even had some successful payloads for nasa but they just haven't made it to to orbit yet but i think that we will see them but i think that's just the difference of the two ideologies behind these companies
1: and that's definitely true for um for, for blue origin because they just they can actually kind of they don't have to um, stress, I think, as much as SpaceX does, because SpaceX has uh, multiple investors and they have certain goals that they have to reach um, because they're under contract with NASA. And Blue Origin has some contracts with NASA, like um, Matthew mentioned. Uh, they have a small vehicle called New Shepard, which just does uh, suborbital hops kind of in the same vein as what Virgin Galactic's trying to do with t- uh, tourism. Um so they go up to about a hundred kilometers. They can do some you get zero G for about ten or fifteen minutes. Um so they run some experiments for companies and, and universities and NASA. And so they've been making a little money that way. But Bezos bankrolls them. He said he he's gonna commit at least a billion dollars a year uh to Blue Origin in order to keep him afloat. So um it's just it's insane to me to think that we live in a period of time where one man's passion project is an entire space company that would you know the the resources that they have outshines a lot of countries.
0: Yeah, I mean that that is definitely a, the billion dollars a year in funding, and their capabilities surpass most of the countries on Earth. So even the ones with space agencies, so that is insane. But um, speaking of this as well, I'd love to get both of your input because now we've mentioned Blue Origin, Blue Origin, we've talked about Virgin Galactic, and I want to see what you guys think because both of these companies have talked about doing space tourism, but Kind of in different ways. Blue Origin uses actual rockets and Virgin Galactic kind of uses like a converted, it's like a space plane. Um, And obviously through that, Virgin Galactic is limited with how far, how high and how long they can go. While Blue Origin will eventually be able to go to orbit, you know, they can, they're developing another rocket that will definitely be able to go to orbit. Um, They're both looking at sending... Tourist up at least for like you know a quick ride, like you said, making it to zero gravity for like 10, 12 minutes. So, while we don't have a cost on Blue Origins ticket, they've said it'll probably be around a it's estimated it'll be around $200,000, just like Virgin Galactic. So, if you had your choice, which one would you take a real rocket or kind of a like converted space plane? What do you think?
2: Honestly, I would say neither because I don't even do roller coasters. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I will have to eventually go uh, skydiving because my girlfriend will make me, but I'm not looking forward to that day. But for me, financially, I feel like the only people that could afford this right now are the ultra-wealthy. And, okay, they'll commit $200,000, $500,000, a million dollars to go on uh, a, a trip up to space. But it's a one-time thing. They don't do it multiple times. It's like a one time thing. You do it and it's fulfilled. It's off your bucket list. So I feel like in order to be profitable in the tourism industry and space, you have to make it affordable for the masses. But I do see profit coming from like the military, from satellite, from TV, from broadband, from maybe uh, gathering resources from other planets. Um, What do you think, Wyatt?
1: Yeah, no, Camden, you are, it's a very uh, intuitive answer because I kind of, I agree, Um, looking at space tourism, that's another field where there doesn't need to be multiple entrants because if you have the money to go to space at the prices that they're currently charging, you can just fly to whoever you need to in order to get that done. Um, Currently, there's some speculation um, because Blue Origin hasn't been as um, progressive with New Shepard, even though they're pretty much at the end of their development with it. Um, people are speculating that maybe Blue Origin isn't going to be doing tourism for very long. You know, maybe they'll do a few missions up to the edge of space, but refocus their efforts on New Glenn um, because that's what they're planning on. You know, doing man-rated launches and uh, major payload launches. So they may divert all their efforts to that. Um, in terms of which one I would want to ride, I think I would probably want to ride the Blue Origin uh, New Shepard because going up in an actual rocket would be insane. Um, but on top of that, if you're wealthy and you're listening to this podcast, just wait a couple more years. Wait like another five, maybe maybe 10 years, maybe um, because the access the cost of access to space is going to go down pretty significantly. Um, when starship becomes on, comes online through SpaceX um, or when New Glenn's rocket comes online, both of those rockets are aiming to be pretty much well, New Glenn not so much, but starship is supposed to be fully reusable. Um and so that would bring the cost of the launch of Starship uh down to the operating costs are about two million dollars, That's I think what we what we talked about. But yeah. um <laughs> not me and Elon, but you and me, Matthew.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, <let's laughs> on you and Elon, let's that. <laughs> yeah.
1: So so Starship will be a pretty inexpensive option and, and that vehicle has not only the ability to just go to the edge of space, but you could go on a trip around the moon like what um that dear moon, dear moon mission that they're doing uh, in the in the next few years. That's being funded by um, that Japanese billionaire. I forget his name. Do you know who I'm talking about, Matthew? I know who
0: you're talking about. I mean, I think saying that his name is also really hard to pronounce. So saying the dear yeah, moon guy. it's Maizawa <laughs> Saku Maezawa. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, so and the real the real money to be made in space is not really in moving people. Um, the real money to be made in space is exactly what Camden said. It's in resource, uh, uh, mining for resources. It's providing services for governments um, or other entities on in space or on the moon or on Mars. Uh, because even the uh, companies right now, like Blue Origin and SpaceX, that are, are moving big payloads into space, Um, They're just like delivery guys. I mean, if you boil it down, even Elon has said that, you know, they just want to be like, or or, uh, Jeff Bezos has said he wants to be like the UPS of of space, basically. Um, And yeah, and so the real money is going to be made once they lay the groundwork. So once they can reduce launch costs, you'll see a lot more entrepreneurs um, being able to afford and venture capitalists being able to afford to break into space. And that's when the really cool companies are going to start to emerge. And those companies will be something that you would want to invest in because um, those companies will have have a lot safer conditions. They'll be taking on probably, I mean, they'll be taking on risk because it's space, but assumedly it'll be a lot less risk because they won't necessarily be dealing with people. Um, Things like resource, uh, in situ resource utilization, like taking um, materials from a planet and using it for fuel or for water or what have you. Um, a lot of that can be done autonomously with robots, um, so there's no need to endanger human lives. I think those businesses um, that we'll probably see to start to emerge in the 20s, um, those businesses are going to be the ones that you'll want to watch. And I imagine that we'll start seeing more space companies um, go public just by the nature of that's the way NASA is kind of heading. They're trying to commercialize um, low Earth orbit, and they're also trying to, going into the 20s, commercialize the moon.
0: Speaking on the autonomous, like res- uh, resource gathering, you mentioned, I would like to say because Camden asked about some stocks earlier. Caterpillar, a uh, well known company in mining, especially, and like construction equipment, they have recently been working with NASA to do exactly what you're talking about, help gather resources on the moon autonomously. So they may they may be a company to keep an eye on in the future.
2: Now, on the topic of finance and stocks, um, say that there are. Dozens of IPOs of space stocks, and it's becoming its own sector. Would this space sector be cyclical or defensive?
0: You know, it's a good question. I guess it depends on a lot because space is expensive. And so, in the business cycle, if we go down and we're in a recession, space is expensive. And I think it's an expense that a lot of companies can wait, like to send a brand new satellite to space for communications, for improved broadband or whatever. They may choose to wait until they're bringing in more revenue to pay that expenditure. See can, I,
1: can I ask somebody who doesn't know, uh, <laughs> doesn't know all the intricacies of finance, what does a defense uh, or a cyclical market mean?
2: So... Cyclical basically means that it uh, occurs in cycles. So it follows the business cycle. So when there's expansions, um, the business is booming. It's doing very well. When there's contractions, it's going down. So it follows the market. Defensive means that when the market is going down, you could buy into it. Like consumer, uh, defensive stocks, uh, Walmart, uh, Amazon. And the cyclical is more like... Uh, oil uh, and other businesses that follow the business cycle.
1: Oh, I see.
2: But for me, like I'm thinking about it right now, space isn't one sector. Space is like a whole new world. It's like an environment because there's so many different opportunities. You could do resources. You could do defense. You could do satellites. You could do tourism. Uh, um, you could probably do photography if people want to take. Photos, you can probably sell merchandise. I don't know. You could do product-based. You could do service-based. So it's not one sector. It's a whole new world. So I don't even know if it would be considered a sector. I don't know if it would be considered uh, cyclical or defensive.
1: I think – oh, go ahead. You want me to answer, Matthew? Or yeah, go, ahead. go ahead.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: I think that going uh, forward, I think there's just going to be this kind of blending – of the companies that we know now that are terrestrial companies and then the ones that are off planet and people aren't really going to pay much attention to the difference anymore. Um, Once companies like that become established enough to go to IPO, um, it'll be hard to really categorize them uh, differently from everything
0: else. Yeah, I I think that's really good insight. Uh, At this point, I want to move on and kind of talk about where we were in the space industry in 2019 and see what big projects are coming up in the future. And I think that really, as far as what's going on right now, there's two big things going on that are going to bring money in to this kind of field. And one is NASA's gearing up to return to the moon, and they've got a ton of money to do that. And two, we're seeing like half a dozen companies race to launch tens of thousands of satellites into orbit over the next few years to establish some kind of space-based internet. And both of these things are bringing with them a lot of capital. So as far as NASA, they just received a budget for 2020 that is $22.6 billion. That's a pretty big increase. Their average annual budget is usually $19 billion. So, and like you mentioned earlier, Wyatt, they're moving towards like commercialization. So a good chunk of this money is NASA, they're giving it, awarding contracts to other companies to work with them on things like the lunar lander, like you mentioned, Blue Moon, to launch vehicles to get to the moon, to mining on the moon. All of those fields are available as contracts that could potentially be funding for companies just getting started in the space industry. And then the other thing is the space internet, which we've seen, we're have seen we seeing a lot of big players come in on as far as launching that. Who do you think are the main players in the space internet, Wyatt?
1: Um, I think, well, definitely the only, really the only company that's um, been making significant progress consistently is uh, SpaceX with Starlink. Um, They are planning, I think, their third mission uh, either sometime this month or next month. Uh, And they're deploying, is it 60 satellites at a time, Matthew?
0: Yeah, it's 60 satellites at a time. Yeah, they have an
1: insane, uh, just an insane capability there, being able to deploy 60 satellites at a time. And it shows their uh, prowess in, um, in developing things that they can work around. You know, I, I, they made these tiny satellites that are the size of like pizza boxes, which is just something that's never been done. Um, and I'm sure that Elon or whoever at the top was just saying, you got to make it smaller. You got to make it work because we have it in this bearing because we want to put 40, you know, 4,000 of them up there in the next few years and 12,000 after that. So it just shows how sophisticated they are and like how they're willing to take risks um, in, order to, in order to achieve these like really lofty goals. Like The amount of satellites they want to put in space is more than currently exist in space and have ever been in space. So they need a really high um, output over the next couple of years. And what they're able to do with the reusable rockets, they are the ones that are situated um, to be able to accomplish something like this. And then the other company, OneWeb, um, they are not intending to put a thousand, even a thousand satellites up into space. Um, I think they're trying to do—is it a couple hundred,
0: Matthew? We're looking at six hundred
1: and fifty. Oh, it's six hundred. Okay, um, so closer so yeah, to...
0: Compared to like the twelve thousand you mentioned, though. I mean, it's not even close.
1: Yeah, and they are their cost per unit is significantly higher than what SpaceX is projecting their cost per unit with um, with Starlink. And SpaceX is kind of treating the Starlink satellites as almost uh disposable. Uh they don't have a they don't have a long lifespan. Um and they are very cheap to produce. I believe there, is are is it like a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars per unit?
0: Oh, I think that they're looking to get it to they're they're looking for to manufacture them at a quarter of a million. It's like Two hundred fifty thousand. yeah. You mentioned one web. They say it costs them about a million to produce each one. Right. So, um, Camden, what do you think about that competitive advantage? Do you think that OneWeb has a chance? Because they've they've been able to uh, bring in a lot of money. One, OneWeb has wa- raised $3.4 billion since 2012. But they've had a head start on SpaceX on this project. And currently, they haven't launched their satellites into space yet. Uh, SpaceX already has 180 Starlink satellites in orbit. And they're looking to do... Two launches of 60 satellites every month, starting now.
2: Wow. Um, So first, I'm curious, we're talking about the production of uh, satellites. What are they made of? Um, If we were going to trade commodities um, and I feel like if the space industry is booming in the future, I would want to buy into these materials. What are the materials that compose
0: satellites? You know what? Do you have you have a better you might have a better idea than I do, on kind of either what they're made out of or possibly um, who's helping manufacture them.
1: Right. Um, so satellites are designed to be really light because you obviously want to save as much mass as possible, so you have to burn less fuel when you put it into space. So they're usually like rockets; they're usually made of lighter um, materials like titanium or aluminum. Um sometimes there are different composites or alloys. Um so it, it really depends. But there are companies that design uh different parts of the satellite, like their, the satellite bus, um, which uh allows for the satellite to be deployed um in space. Uh like um is it Northrop Grumman develops a satellite bus. You've got um, Ariane Space that develops satellite buses and things like that. Um, and, or Sorry, I confused buses with deployment. There's um, release structures that are built into the rocket. So that way, when the rocket achieves the correct orbit, it can uh, deploy the satellite. And there are companies that manufacture those. And there are other companies that manufacture the buses, which is the body of the satellite, the actual structure. Um, so satellites are not quite, they're not totally modular, but you can approach companies and buy off of their existing platform, and then kind of build onto it as you wish. Um, Off the top of my head, though, I don't know um, very many satellite manufacturers. I know uh, Boeing and um, Lockheed Martin uh, frequently deal with that sort of thing, and Northrop Grumman as well. So they're major companies you can trade with, and I would imagine um, in the coming years that they would be seeing more business. But like I said before, the trend seems to be moving towards smaller satellites, um, and smaller satellites don't necessarily need the intensive capital that large satellites do that so smaller companies are able to break into this market
0: got it that was some really good insight we can definitely take a look at those companies because you're right the ones who are building them developing them designing them will probably see be bringing in more revenue from these like we're talking about thousands of satellites that these companies want to launch
2: and those three or four companies you mentioned boeing raytheon lockheed martin Um, Those are considered defensive because uh, they, uh, recent news, okay, we almost went into war with Iran, uh, which was never going to happen because uh, the U.S. is a very strong force and Iran wouldn't do that to their country, but we almost did. So those three or four stocks increased in price while the market decreased. That's an example of defensive.
0: Thank you. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, So I have a question for both of you, actually. I'd love to hear both of your input because we just talked about there's several of these companies. So we have SpaceX looking to launch these satellites and they're ahead. We talked about Amazon is also looking to launch uh, space-based internet, although we don't have too much information. They'll likely use Blue Origin. They'll probably work out some kind of a deal there. Um, but we, like I said, we don't know too much yet. There's one web which has been able to raise a significant amount of money and has been working on this for a while. Then there's Apple has also mentioned something similar. Facebook has mentioned something similar. Telesat has mentioned something similar. And they have probably the most experience in manufacturing or working with satellites and launching them. So what do you guys think? Do you see all of these companies being successful or just one or two? Which ones do you think might have a good shot at actually? Accomplishing this,
1: um, I think
0: I should take this one.
1: Yeah, I can take this one if you want. Yeah, uh, I. It's difficult to say um, because these endeavors are very capital intensive. Um, if it wasn't for the recent developments with reusable rocketry, uh, this would be impossible. You know, if you told somebody 15 years ago or 10 years ago, even um, that you wanted to put hell, you tell people now that you want to put 12,000 satellites in space um they it, it's hard to comprehend how much money that really costs and so i could see um telecoms looking at spacex's success seeing if spacex is even successful with it and then copying them uh afterwards because spacex is is saying that they can do high speed internet um through space which is just something that's never been done before uh and supposedly the math is there it's just an it's an engineering problem Um, So if SpaceX can do it, they'll train a lot of new engineers and new techniques. And as the nature of things are, those engineers will probably move on to other companies or be poached by other companies. And we might see um, major telecoms uh, look to get involved because SpaceX could potentially start sweeping up their customers in rural areas. um, And SpaceX will have a global reach in the telecom market. So it's really interesting. I don't know how successful OneWeb will be. I don't. I, we haven't heard anything uh, like you mentioned Matthew from Facebook in a while, or Amazon. I assume that, like Blue Origin, Amazon would keep things tight-lipped until you know they're ready to go. Um, as far as Facebook, I I don't know. Zuckerberg's been in the news a lot recently. He's been in, under a lot of fire. the uh, the, the platform itself is, has been under a lot of fire and scrutiny. They may not be uh, looking at such ambitious plans right now, and maybe look more yeah. conservative options.
0: I think that is some good insight, but uh, yeah, you're right. It's really capital intensive. SpaceX has such a large lead. I'm I'm sure we'll see them get an operational network up and running. Amazon. I'm sure we will too, just because I mean, you've mentioned Jeff Bezos, these like projects of his, he funds them very handsomely. Um, and especially with the value that Amazon has and kind of his, Kind of competition with like Elon Musk, SpaceX. Uh, if he wants to get launch this and have this kind of a network, I think that we'll see that happen. Yeah, if one if wants web, to do it; he's gonna do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When he's got the money to back it up, so uh, one web. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like you said, I'm not so sure about them. But uh, Apple, I I do think they have an interesting idea because Apple is another combination of kind of things you said, like you need to, the know how which I mean they have the ability to recruit some of the best uh, engineers in the world. And the capital, I mean they've shown just with their Apple TV they just launched that they're not afraid to outspend any competitor and just throw billions of dollars at any project. So if they got behind this, what Apple is looking at doing is creating a space-based like uh, network just for like iPhones and Apple products. Um, and you know how Apple likes to kind of have like their walled garden control everything from hardware to software. And so being able to control like the literal signal that your phone gets, they'll be able to control all ends of like the iPhone. And that's something that's very appealing to them. So we might see that happen as well, especially if like you said SpaceX is successful and these other engineers learn from them and then go to work at other companies or their competitors are watching to kind of see how it works out.
2: Right. I'm going to go on a little rant now because I just have a couple things on my mind. Uh, First, we were talking about Apple and Apple's balance sheet and how much cash they have. They have hundreds of billions of dollars to spend, and if Apple join the space industry or start investing in the space company, um, it also brings to mind Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett also, Berkshire Hathaway, has hundreds of billions of dollars of just pure cash on their balance sheet. Um, Maybe he's looking to uh, invest in space. Um, What do you think of that? Based off of what you know about Warren Buffett, about his intrinsic value approach, about his value investing. Do you think there is intrinsic value in space?
0: You know, I will just first off, I'd be really happy if Warren Buffett um, started to invest like in these types of companies or in these types of projects because generally, uh, he has a really good eye for this type of stuff, like for getting behind industries that end up being very profitable. But the thing with Warren Buffett is he's been famously skeptical skeptical of like technology. I mean, it took him, he was way, way, way behind like the internet craze of the nineties. Like he's barely ever invested in any tech stocks. He only like just recently invested in Apple. Um, so I, I don't even know if we would see him uh, invest in any of these companies, even despite the fact that Berkshire, Berkshire Hathaway has, Billions of dollars behind them.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, one buff in his philosophy is to only invest in things that he understands. So he drinks Coca-Cola every single day. He bought it to Coke. He uh, uses Geico um, insurance because that was the most convenient and easiest uh, insurance to find. So he bought the whole company. So that, that's his philosophy. But to break down into the financials, um, you are speaking about the five or six key players in the space industry market um, and say that they all go public. As an investor, I would look into the launch success rates. I would look into the return on investment and return on equity uh, based off of each dollar they spend, how much they earn on each dollar. I would look at their profit margins to see that if they're using their cash the most efficient way, and if they're very effective with their cost management. Um, but it's definitely an interesting industry to look into. And based off of this discussion, I'm someone that will do further research into
0: it. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, because I do think that this is an emerging field, uh, like investment field. But I do have one concern with it um and i'd love to get your input as well but these companies as stocks as being public companies there's one like fundamental problem it's rockets blow up and that's quite a spectacle for investors and like as the ceo of uh, boeing who just stepped down could easily tell you it's hard for a public company to deal with like disasters like that like the boeing planes just had and I can't imagine what totally would take on a stock if, you know, like SpaceX, when they were getting started, had, you know, lost several rockets, they'll probably lose rockets in the future. And it's hard for investors to kind of sit by and be like, oh, it's okay, this will pass while on every channel is big balls of flame and rockets exploding. And, you know, these payloads that often carry over a billion dollars uh, worth of satellites or whatever <laughs> payloads they're carrying. So I don't know what what do you think investors think of that? You, you
2: you're definitely right on what you're saying.
0: Um, investors will definitely
2: react poorly if, uh, say, Virgin Galactic, uh, their first launch with a dozen people on it goes up into space and doesn't make it to orbit and blows up and kills twelve people, it will definitely have a huge toll on their stock price. But it makes me also think about with ESG investing becoming so popular. And it's most likely gonna become a financial principle of every public company to have some type of ESG. Either they're they're sustainable or they have good governance or they have equal pay between females and males. With space, I think the environmental cost of it would be expensive with rockets taking up so much fuel. And I don't know, I'm speculating right now, but does it cause a lot of pollution? or say that a rocket blows up in space. Where are those pieces going? Will it come back and hit us or will it go litter space?
1: Um uh, yeah, I can I can answer some of that. So uh yeah, there's not really any way around it. Um when you launch a rocket, you are going to put some pollutants in the atmosphere. Uh they aren't really that significant. They don't they wouldn't even factor in at like a point of a percentage point. Um, in terms of the global emissions, um, the launch rate is going up and it, they do burn significant amounts of fuel. Um, but the impact that they have is not significant really enough to worry about it right now. Perhaps in the future, when we're doing hundreds and hundreds of launches, we'll have to look more into that. Um, but currently, it's not so bad. And, and to your other question, uh, the way that space companies and um, space government or agencies, uh, government agencies uh do launches is they actually launch over the ocean. So um that's why there's launch uh pads at in Florida at Cape Canaveral, um, and there's also, you know, launch platforms uh in Vandenberg Air Force Base just south of me in California here. Um and then the idea is that you launch the rocket over the ocean, and this is how it's been done for 60 years, is you launch the rocket over the ocean. Um you lose the first stage into the ocean. Uh the second stage usually remains in space. And then your payload lives in space. Uh, so sometimes the second stages will, when they're in space, they'll deorbit over time. They decay. They'll come back and burn up, and they're no, they're no problem. Um, polluting in the ocean, I think it's a pretty awful thing to do to just leave an entire rocket stage to break apart and decompose in the ocean. And hopefully, as we move away from ditching that first stage, uh, that'll become less of a less of a thing. Um, but the the big takeaway from this is that there is actually going to be a lot of space junk and that leads to uh, a really interesting opportunity. And I can share with you guys a company that I've been following for a little while now. Um, they, to me seem like a company that could go public and make a good little bit of change and not have to worry about, um, the fickle interests of their investors. It's this company called NanoRacks, Um, and they have been developing, uh, tools for the international space station since 2009 they've developed um like storage uh, utensils that have built-in uh, power sources and computer functions um they've developed a microscope they've developed all these different scientific instruments that are used up on the iss and currently they have a contract with spacex um in 2020 to launch um it's part of their space outpost program. And the idea is that they're going to take a robot up there that will have the ability to cut metal similar to the kind of metal that's present in satellites, um, and on sec- or sorry, not satellites, but second stages of rockets that are usually left up there in orbit. And their whole goal is to start converting those spent second stages into livable habitats or um, uh, fuel depots uh, and that sort of thing. And so they're a really interesting company. And that is another aspect of, um, the space, uh, entrepreneurial environment that's developing is what do we do with all these satellites that are up in orbit? Um, and they, they live up there sometimes for hundreds of years, depending on what orbit you're in. And once you run out of fuel, you just float around and, and our governments and other governments around the world have to keep track and make sure that nothing bumps into them. Um, so there is a real market, and NASA has been kind of doing these small, uh, multi-million-dollar investments, uh, less than ten million usually, um, into different companies who are proposing different ideas on how to either deorbit satellites by, you know, reaching their orbit and then using like a literal claw to pull it down, um, or uh, companies like NanoRacks, which are planning on using the second stages of rockets and converting them into either livable habitats. Or fuel depots that um, future uh, space missions can utilize.
0: Wow, that's a really cool idea, and that's a perfect example of that entrepreneurial environment you talked about. But that is that is awesome. I definitely love to have a couple more space yeah. habitats up there. Maybe make one up, up it, make a trip exactly. to one in the future. That would be really. Cool.
2: I'm happy with yeah. down here on Earth. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's what the rich yeah. people that's what they should be saving yeah. your money for save money for when we have more livable mm-hmm. habitats up in space and you can go to a space hotel give
0: it 10 years uh, give it yeah, 10 I years
1: you think, I, I you think in 10 care. years will have yeah. hotels in space i think so i i actually really really do because if you look at the past i mean it's not always a good idea to, to look at um uh the previous 10 years when the change is it's radical because you can't expect to see the same kind of radical change. But like Matthew and I started uh, out the podcast uh, talking about, it's just insane the amount of development that's happened in 10 years with our space program, um, our commercial space program, I mean, uh, because 10 years ago, we had the space shuttle and the space shuttle was still around and flying. And that was costing a billion dollars every time we flew it. Um, and there were no private companies that uh, outside of Boeing and Lockheed that had reached orbit, ever. Um, And now we've got uh, SpaceX, who is kind of becoming the incumbent space company. And um, they're taking contracts from from United Launch Alliance, the Boeing Lockheed venture. Um, And so they're becoming the new incumbent. And so in just 10 years, we saw this dramatic shift from space being only accessible to governments to now, I mean, it's still the ultra rich and major corporations, but it's starting to trend towards, you know, Matthew and me and you, you know, in in 10 years time, we have uh, a a nice income coming in, being able to afford to go on a, maybe a hop from one continent to another on a rocket, or maybe if we're really lucky, (laughs) being able to afford to live in some sort of space hotel. Um, The next 10 years could see us on the moon. I think it will see us on the moon. I think it could see us on Mars as well. Um, And so with low Earth orbit figured out, uh, you will probably see... Because somebody like Bill Gates could invest money into a, a space hotel or Warren Buffett if they really – it's not really Warren Buffett's cup of tea. But any billionaire could put the start the money right now and start it rolling and in probably about 10 years' time have something up and, and ready to go. Um, there was a company um, called uh, – uh, what are they called? They recently put a Habitat up on the International Space Station. Um, oh, man. Uh, starts with a B. Is it, you know who i'm talking about
0: it's uh i know who you're talking about i want to blank on their name too but uh but they they have plans to um oh, big there's big that bigelow that's section. what i was the
1: word i was forgetting
0: bigelow yeah yeah yes
1: this for a long they time. have
0: plans to release that last section of the iss and attach a space yeah, hotel that's,
1: and, and so that's really what uh one of the things that The U.S. government's going to have to figure out is what are we going to do with the ISS? Um, Because we're probably the biggest investor in the International Space Station, other than the Russians. And so, you know, they've been wanting to decommission the space station since I think 2014, but they just keep extending its 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 lifeline. Um, And so now there's been talks, uh, specifically actually with NanoRacks. I was reading an article recently where they made a proposal to NASA to try and commercialize the space station more. Um, and allow for other habitats and modules to be connected, um, so Bigelow is another company that has kind of had a tumultuous history. They built these giant um, inflatable space habitats they look like giant marshmallows, um, but the market just wasn 't ready for them uh, they They expand, so you can put basically they they 'll become compact when they 're launched into space and then they expand once they 're up there. Um, into large habitats but there was no customers for it at the time and it was just too expensive to move things into space so they're kind of in this weird sort of stasis mode right now and nobody's really sure what's going on with them um, but somebody could easily just come along and buy up their assets um, they borrowed technology from NASA so it's out there and it's totally I think feasible
0: yeah I, th- I think you're spot on within the next 10 years we'll definitely see that become a possibility. And that's a perfect segue because I want to talk about kind of what your guys' outlook is for the years to come. Morgan Stanley, just a couple months ago, uh, published a paper saying that there was about $350 billion uh, in revenue in 2019 for these space-related companies, and it's expected that these companies could bring in a trillion dollars in revenue by 2040. That's a ton of money. So we're going to keep seeing. If that's true, we're going to keep seeing a lot of these launch providers come online. These more companies start up. So you know, over the next ten, maybe even twenty years, what what companies do you see being most influential going forward? Out of like who we've been talking about? Or Camden, as the layman, that? who do you think? Yeah, I'm interested. You've heard you've heard us kind of talk about it. Wait, so speaking of thought? of.
2: Uh, not related space companies, or are we focusing on space? Like on the companies we've been uh, talking the about. Companies we're talking about. Okay, um, I think Virgin Galactic, being an early player in the public markets, they will definitely benefit from early investments, uh, public exposure, uh, tremendous growth. Um, they're in, uh, They entered the uh, the market first. They're they're an early bidder and I feel like they'll definitely benefit from that Um, and it makes me as someone who just listened to this conversation and for uh, our audience who's going to listen to this um, the only public market uh, public company in the market is Virgin Galactic so I'm more enticed to go research more into the financials and and possibly next week on Tuesday when the market opens put some money into it but uh, besides that I'm a huge supporter of Amazon, so Blue Origin is definitely something I'll look into. And with Tesla being a huge success, in the last week alone, um, from going from $250 per share to almost above $500, uh, crazy, doubled, doubled their market cap. Uh, and now they're able to pay off their debt obligations or not have to pay off their debt obligations because their share price is above X level. I feel like SpaceX is something to look into as well. What do you think,
1: Wyatt? Yeah, I think um, Elon Musk definitely knows how to run a company. Uh, he's he's done pretty well for himself so far. So is Jeff Bezos with Amazon. Um, I think it's hard not to pick SpaceX as the big um, company going forward in the next decade and maybe even the decades beyond. Um and like I said, they've become the incumbent, but they are still remaining uh, flexible and they're still keeping up their their startup mentality in the way that they've been developing Starship, which is their um, – I don't think we ever really said what Starship was. But Starship is SpaceX's Mars rocket. Um, it's been in the news a lot recently. Uh, something interesting to the point that I'm trying to say uh, is that they originally planned to build Starship out of carbon fiber which is a difficult material to work with on such a large scale when you're building like a massive nine-meter diameter um, rocket frame. And they worked on that for about a year. They bought a huge milling machine for carbon fiber. They claimed to have invented new processes for it. And then suddenly they dramatically shifted and went to steel. Um, and they started building this these Starship prototypes just out in the middle of nowhere, not even under a tarp or under a tent or in a white, clean room. Um, they just started welding parts together. And that really shows that the heart um, of SpaceX that that got them started in the beginning is still beating because um, those are things that you would expect to see out of a startup. And it's, it's SpaceX is going on 20 years. Uh, they're an 18-year-old company. Um, Blue Origin is a, is a 20-year-old company this year. So I, I think SpaceX definitely still has um, the uh, flexibility to make quick changes that they need to make. I think being private definitely helps with that. Um, just even talking, like Camden, what you mentioned about Tesla's shifting stock, it's crazy how quickly the market can change its opinion of, of a company or how well a company's short term performance can affect its overall evaluation. And I think SpaceX is immune to that and that allows them this sort of leverage. Uh, and, and Blue Origin's the same way. Blue Origin can afford to take its time because Jeff uh, Bezos has quite a bit of of money to throw around. Um, So I I think think Blue Origin and I think SpaceX are definitely the two major companies that will have a lasting uh, impact in space. Um, These other smaller companies are just as important to the overall growth, Um, but Blue Origin and SpaceX are definitely the ones with the most potential, the most um, income and backing. Um, I I can't wait to see what Virgin Galactic does too. Uh, maybe they'll get more into the launch market and away from tourism, um, but we'll see.
0: Yeah. I think that that insight was again, spot on. I think that we're definitely, those are going to be some of the big players and I'm really glad that you brought up Starship because I was hoping to talk about that a little more. I think the next 10 years at least are going to be completely centered around SpaceX's Starship. And uh, I was, would you be able to talk about some yeah. of the capabilities? Yeah, absolutely. Um
1: and okay. maybe I can give a brief, 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 brief history for people who are not really familiar with space. I kind of mentioned at the beginning of the podcast um, that before, you know, the 10s, before 2010, um, the only launchers that you could buy rocket launches from were from the Lockheed and Boeing Venture United Launch Alliance in the United States, um, or from Ariane Space, uh, which is um, a, a European space company supported by the ESA, uh, or, or the Russians. Those are really your only three options. And if you were doing a national defense launch or you were doing any sort of NASA payload, you pretty much always went to ULA. And so I actually have some numbers here as to what it used to cost. Um, and it used to cost, for an Atlas V launch, which is comparable to like the Falcon 9, um, it used to cost about $187 million for NASA to order a contract to launch with that vehicle. Um, For the Delta IV Heavy, which is ULA's other vehicle, um, similar to the Falcon Heavy, uh, the Delta IV Heavy was roughly $350 to $400 million per launch. And so for comparison, Falcon 9, SpaceX's primary launch vehicle, um, is $60 million new, $50 million refurbished. And Falcon Heavy, uh, in its expendable configuration, meaning that nothing returns, is $150 million. And its reusable configuration is ninety million dollars. So in ten years, we've seen the market uh, open up immensely, and and the prices have just gone down significantly. And so the overall mission, though, is to build a spaceship that is like a jumbo jet, like a seven forty seven, that you can fuel up, take off, land, fuel it up again, do you know small amounts of maintenance, or or potentially no maintenance for many, many flights. Um, and so that is what SpaceX is doing with their Starship vehicle. Uh, they, it's going to be a two stage vehicle. It'll be a first stage that's absolutely massive, um, that will return and land at the launch site. And then their Starship is the real spaceship that will be going to the moon, to Mars. It'll be able to do landings on those, uh, planetary bodies and it'll also be able to return. Um, and so uh, let me see if I have – I don't know if I have some numbers right in front of me. Do you have some uh, uh, Starship numbers, Matt?
0: Let me see. Um, we talked about the fact that they're trying to aim for $2 million uh, operating cost. So after the thing is built and ready to go, I mean, we're looking at $2 million for – Flights like across Earth, like you briefly mentioned earlier, or to low Earth orbit, which is obviously a huge difference from the uh, multi-hundred million dollar cost that you just mentioned. Um, And then, just on top of that, too, I think the reason we're going to see that exponential like uh, change uh, in cost and launch capability is because SpaceX is looking to reach uh, to build a hundred of these a year and specifically with the goal of launching them to Mars. So we're looking to build hundred of these a year, put hundred people on each one and launch it to Mars every about 26 months. Um, so whether they launch those to Mars or not, just building a hundred of these things a year, I mean, that's way, way more than the entire market is currently able to launch. Exactly. And, and it
1: build, shows so. that SpaceX is pretty bullish on the growth of the, of the space market. And they really have their finger to the pulse, so I would, um, I would definitely look into the, the their actions and and think about and going forward what kind of investments to make once these companies do come to market.
0: Yeah, and actually, one more time, why would you mind just uh, listing off the comparison between the cost to launch for Falcon Nine and then the other providers? I really want our listeners. Yeah, so to
1: just currently you difference. can get a reused Falcon Nine uh, vehicle. Um, which still has a high level of reliability they haven 't lost uh, a launch vehicle in a long time, and they have yet to lose um, a reused vehicle, uh, but you can get a reused Falcon nine for fifty million dollars, which is in context of like the grand market and the history of it is like dirt cheap um, The previous uh, rocket in the same kind of class was the Atlas five and um, NASA and the air force pay have paid upwards of, you know, near $200 million, um, for launches with those vehicles. And so we're seeing a really dramatic cut in the price of access to space.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again for touching on that. Cause I think that that really sums it up. Well, we're getting ready to end here. So I've got just one more question for you, Wyatt. Um, are there any other companies uh, that we haven't mentioned that you see maybe bring, having an impact on the market in the coming years or any other companies that we should just Yeah, I do have a few companies forward?
1: that I wrote down. I've got, uh, we mentioned Rocket Lab, uh, which is a, they're interesting because they're a US company, but they're New Zealand based. Um, they launch out of New Zealand. They are moving up their cadence. They've done 10 launches so far in about a year's time. Uh, and their goal, I think, is to do, Uh, well over 100 launches a year. um, And they will be launching smaller satellites, which the market seems to be tending towards. SpaceX is building smaller satellites. Uh, OneWeb has fairly small satellites. Um, So we may see them build new rocket platforms. Uh, We may see them go public. They don't seem to have an interest in sending people up into space. Um, The next company is Intuitive Machines. Uh, something that we didn't really touch on, we mentioned it briefly is NASA is trying to go back to the moon. Um, they have a program called that they call clips, which is commuter, uh, commercial lunar payload services, um, kind of like an, an evolution of the commercial, um, cargo services that funded dragon and the commercial crew that funded Boeing and, and, um, and the dragon crew vehicle from SpaceX. Um, the commercial payload services program is intended to put, uh, Small rovers and payloads onto the moon um, in preparation for the Artemis program where we'll be taking people. So, NASA picked nine companies in 2018 and then chose three of those nine companies to get those first contracts. Um, this year, they chose those three companies. And uh, one company bowed out, but the two remaining ones are on my list. And one of them is in- Intuitive Machines. Um, and Intuitive Machines. Is building a, a little lander called the Nova C. Um, it'll be able to carry about a twenty or a twelve hundred pound uh, payload, um, and it can actually hop on the moon. So it'll be able to land, stay in an area for a, a period of time, and then hop somewhere else. Um, and then Intuitive Machines is also going to be working with Blue Origin, uh, Jeff Bezos' company, on uh, on their lunar lander. So Intuitive Machines seems like a company that is on the up and up. Another one is Astrobotic. Um they have a lander called the Peregrine Lander. Um, and they were the uh clips winner as well. So those two companies are going to be putting payloads on the moon very soon, or at least they hope to. Um and then the last company that I would mention is one I mentioned before is NanoRacks. Um they have some really interesting founders. They have a really interesting story, and I think the way that they've gone about um being involved in space is very smart. They haven't gone the, the way of trying to do tourism. They haven't gone the way of trying to build a launcher. Um, they are building tools and, uh, and things like that to be used in space. Um, and they have some pretty uh, progressive ideas, uh, like the Space Outpost program that I mentioned. Um, so I would pay attention to Rocket Lab. Uh, keep your ear to the ground for Intuitive Machines, Astrobotic, um, and NanoRacks. Those are all companies that I think are going to be on the, on the come up in the next few years.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned all those. I think you're absolutely right. Like Those companies, they're doing things that either other people haven't done before or other people haven't been successful in, um, but they're, they've got a new take on it. So I do think that we'll see them at least make some sort of impact on the market. I would also like to mention Relativity Space. That's one I'm really excited about. They've been able to small company. Uh, it was some engineers from SpaceX and a couple other um, aerospace companies. They were able to raise $200 million. And again, it's like we talked about. It's another company entering the small sat market. But what's different about them is they have 3D printed a rocket engine. They've successfully fired it. It's passed all their tests. Uh, they have plans to 3D print an entire rocket. And I mean, you know, you coming from an engineering background... I'm sure you can imagine all the different parts that go into these rockets, and like when you work on your labs, your projects, like all it takes is one little thing to go wrong, in a thing that could have, you know, Absolutely. hundreds yeah. of different connections, thousands of different connections. But in this, in a 3D printed rocket, in a solid design, you have much less moving parts. Much yeah. I, less I guess it capability. depends
1: on the uh, fidelity that you're able to print with. Um, it depends on the strength of the material. Um the I, I know that they they currently 3D print uh rocket engines. I know SpaceX has 3D printed some of its rocket engine, not not fully, not to the same extent. Um but with Blue Origin, uh they have yeah. like 3D printed their their bells of the of the rocket. Um and uh not the jingle bells, but the <laughs> the bells that are the visible parts of the rocket basically of the rocket engine. Um and so the the strength yeah. I guess is there to be able to handle it. Um yeah, they are definitely an interesting company. I can't wait to see what kind of stuff they do.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. Um, sure. So, one more question. Uh, you being an engineer, which of these companies? Ooh, would you like that to is work a really at?
1: good question. Um, people always assume that I want to work for SpaceX, um, and I do.
2: No uh <laughs>
0: Okay, <laughs> it, would like no, it would be great. No, it would be really great. So. I would like
1: to work on their
0: what Elon you're listening. Make your pitch.
1: Okay. Elon, Elon's listening. Uh, passionate Make electrical pitch, engineer. Sometimes. I can help you put your satellites in space I, I, Um but <laughs> I would love to work on their Starlink program. I think that's a really <laughs> ambitious program. And as an electrical engineer I could I could definitely um impact that a lot. I don't think I would want to work for Blue Origin necessarily. Um for the smaller companies would be very cool to work for i think uh they would allow for um, a lot more learning and i, I kind of like the startup environment more than the established company environment so so either spacex or or anybody else nanoracks <laughs> would be really awesome or even rocket lab i'll take any of them just uh you know <laughs> right. send, yeah, your, uh, <laughs> send your send your offer to yeah. matthew and, and he'll forward them <laughs> to me <laughs> so yeah you're my
0: agent I guess I'm your agent now um, alright I'll take it well anyway let's uh, let's bring this thing to an end so thank you to all our listeners for listening to the What's Up podcast I hope you enjoyed our special space edition um, thank you Wyatt and Camden for the great conversation we hope you've enjoyed this week's What's Up podcast as well and again to any of our listeners we'd love your feedback um, so feel free to shoot us an email uh, our address is in the podcast notes Wyatt thanks for joining the show
1: yeah thank you guys for having me this was a lot a lot of fun it's fun to talk about space in a more legitimate sense than just talking your ear off so (laughs) I hope I didn't do that and I hope somebody learned something from this
0: yeah all right thank you